So you've decided to give up that old behavior that's been killing you and all you care for and surrender to a power greater than yourself. That's the first step. Surrender is what opens the prison door. Now it's time to walk through that door and into a whole new way of life. Spirituality, self-care, service, social connection, and the simple daily disciplines that pave the way to lasting freedom. This is Positive Sobriety. Welcome to another episode of the Positive Sobriety Podcast. And we uh, here we are, David. We are marching on, uh, soldiering our way through the pandemic. Uh, we, missed, we missed a couple <laughs> of weeks. Life kind of got in the way here, David. But, it did. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it did. Um, but we are on, what, week 183 of uh, the COVID countdown or something <laughs> yeah yeah or 383 holy uh, yeah. smokes uh, good lord i know and i know just when i thought we peaked yeah uh suddenly at least here in middle tennessee where you and i live cases are spiking again yeah I we're saw... now living under a mask mandate that we didn't have before here in williamson county well, yeah, and in Nashville, where I live, um, you know, we've been under a mask mandate for a little while longer than you guys. Um, and I live downtown, and I saw that downtown is one of Tennessee's downtown Nashville is one of Tennessee's hotbed uh, spreaders yeah. right now. And uh, my building now requires that we wear our masks in the hall and the commons area, the lobby, the mail room, going in and out to walk the dog. You know, so anytime I'm in a public place in the building now, I've got to be masked. So wow. um, we're trying to keep our social distance and keep from spreading and doing all the responsible things. But, you know, this this uh, this is taking its toll on lots of people. So in lots of ways. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. yeah dang. I'll tell you what, I, I am really grateful that I'm. Amid all of this, where, you know, I've been separated and isolated from so much of my familiar routine and separated from the, you know, the activities that have become just, uh, you know, second nature to me, I, I have at least been given more opportunity to read and listen and think. I've had to slow down. Yeah. And uh, one payoff from that is that I've encountered some great new ideas in the past few months. And I've got to tell you that on the whole, I really feel as though my life is better now than it was before the pandemic started. Yeah. Despite despite the limitations and the disappointments and the frustrations and the discouragements, the way I am approaching life and living life moment to moment and day to day is improving as I'm, I think, uh, as I'm given opportunity to pay more attention to my life moment to moment, because I'm not in the mad pursuit of some distant goal. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's it's been a reflective time. I mean, I have to say, I, I hear this from a lot of people, and I've experienced this, and it's caused me to really ask myself, what are the what are the things I need to reassess, and why are there some things in my life I'm not addressing yet? You know, um, because yes, yeah. strip away all the busyness and the noise, and um, and you're kind of left with you. <laughs> it's sort of an unpleasant, uncomfortable way. Uh, but also in a great way. And, you know, Nate, one of the things I've done just here at the moment of vulnerability, I have enlisted a trainer. All uh, right. Yeah. Woo. <laughs> Go figure. And um, and here's the thing. And I won't spend you know, a ton of time on it. But I will say this. Um, I had gotten through the, the uh, quarantine uh, with more of me than I started out with. <laughs> and <laughs> unlike you, who has who has the incredible shrinking man, I was not. And uh, yeah. but, but the thing that was really going on with me was I had to admit to myself, you know, damn it, I don't know what to do. I mean, I know yeah. how to eat. I know how to work out, blah, blah, blah. I can't go to the gym and I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And so I, I, I found the guy and and he has me on a on a um, a meal plan that is not you know, a breast of chicken and a cup of rice, you know, it's real mm-hmm. food, real stuff, but it's in getting into the what's going on. What is the belief you have about it? Your relationship with food, but he's got me on a workout plan. That's 25 minutes and I can do right in my apartment. I don't have to go risk getting, you know, the coronavirus at a gym. I can do it all right. with some real simple stuff right in my apartment, a yoga mat, some basic, you know, push up handles. Yeah. Um, and, and for 20 to 25 minutes you, is all you do at the beginning and it increases and you get more, but in three weeks I've dropped 10 pounds and what? Yeah. Three weeks. And, and, I'm, and, and so, but, but all of that is to say, you know, it, even in the midst of this really chaotic, awful time in our, in our culture right now, the world, um, we can still make changes, uh, in our lives that need to happen. And we can make that carved out time and really use this time to address it. So I'm just saying, you know, I'm I'm kind of willing to put myself out there. You could ask me about it next week and see if I've, you know, eaten the chocolate pie or not. But <laughs> but, but you know, it's right now I'm I am so excited about it just because I feel empowered again. Oh, and, that's you know, and, and and instead of like you know this pandemic is happening to me. I'm doing something I can do about some things, regardless of the other restrictions that we have on us. So, so that's my um, true confession oh, for the week. <laughs> that, is, that, is, that is so, you know, I think that this pause on life uh, doesn't have to be a complete pause where I shut everything down and just go away from my life and medicate until it's over. Mm-hmm. Uh I now have a chance to actually go down in the engine room and do a little maintenance. I can, or to change the metaphor, this is an opportunity for me to go out and inspect the sacred cows in my life and see whether uh, some of them, you know, need to be called. Maybe I am operating under some assumptions that I don't need to operate under mm-hmm. that are partially true, but not fully true. Maybe I'm shooting myself in the foot just by my starting points. Yeah. Uh, well, that's an issue that our guest this week is going to help us with. He sure does. Yeah. 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 Uh, 
listeners, hang on, uh, brace yourself, uh, <laughs> lo- loosen your grip on some of uh, your most deeply held beliefs about addiction and recovery. Uh, I'm not saying let go of them, just loosen your grip on them. Yeah. And open your mind a little bit. I'm not saying, you know, blow the door down, but just, unlock it. Just least. crack crack the lid. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. And, uh, and then just see if you don't feel a little quiver of excitement as you listen to this conversation. We'll be back in just a moment on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Uh, David, once again, you have cast a wide net and found a fascinating friend. Yes. A new guest. You've gone, you've gone all the way to the, to the far west. You've gone to the mountains to find this guy. Would, would, you, would you introduce our guest for us? We have. We're branching further and further out. Of course, we, we bring people in from all over the, the world. Nate, as you know, yeah. <laughs> but our guest today, yeah. yeah, Bob Gardner is coming to us from Utah and Bob is the founder of the Freedom Specialist. And, and it's really interesting because I just recently came across his work and um, Bob works in a number of uh, areas. And of course, we'll let him elaborate on all of that. But um, he is, you know, we always say with addiction recovery or compulsive behaviors and unwanted behaviors, it's you know, we want to treat the whole person. And Bob actually does that. <laughs> and from what I've gotten to read and some of the videos and things that I've seen, um, you know, we're talking about depression, anxiety, um, you know, not just the unwanted behaviors or the addictive behaviors that we might refer to, but he's, he's treating this thing in a pretty holistic way. And so I kind of, you know, as you and I explore, Nate, the differences that different people have with recovery models and modalities. Uh, we always love to come across something that somebody's doing just a little bit differently than other people. And so Bob, you know, welcome to positive sobriety. Thank you, man. It's an honor to be here. I really appreciate the opportunity to help out wherever I can. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, Bob, uh, one of the things we really like to do is uh, we like to get personal quick. We like <laughs> our listeners to, 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 you know, to just to get to know our guests on more than a professional level. So I wonder, can you give us a little insight into your backstory? That long and winding road, our experiences is that, uh, you know, few people wind up in the recovery field just out of idle curiosity. This might be a good thing to do, right? Uh, There's usually a story that gets us here. What's your story? (laughs) It was idle curiosity that got me in trouble in the first place, right? (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah. So I was, you know, as a kid, um, I didn't have really a horrible childhood or anything, but I grew up and... um, we moved around a lot. My father was in the military. And so I felt mm. a little bit isolated as a kid anyway. You know, I was great at making acquaintances, interacting with new people in new places. But in terms of deep, you know, personal connection, it wasn't there, especially when it came to women. Uh, and uh-huh. and as I, uh, as I got into my teen years and we had moved again and I was in inner city uh, Dayton, Ohio, and it was maybe not the best place for me to be blossoming. 
Um, but I got involved in shoplifting and a bunch of other things, just trying to make friends, just trying to fit in. And eventually mm -hmm. I landed on pornography as my particular compulsive behavior. And alongside that, I was doing video games. I definitely had bouts of compulsive eating. And in the middle of it, massive amounts of depression. I was suicidal multiple times and just didn't have the courage to do it, over which I got depressed as well. Um, mm. But I really didn't. <laughs> like, uh, I would pray at night sometimes and wish like God would take away my life and mm. just make it better everybody else around me. And so I was in a mm. really, really massively depressed state. Um, I remember going to graduate school in Seattle of all places, not the best place to be depressed. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> uh, the rain just didn't do it for me. And, uh, and you know, I just, I got, there was the lowest I'd ever been and I wanted to end everything. And I was, I was in painting and drawing as that was my major, right. Yeah. In, in my graduate degree. And uh, so I had all these nasty self-portraits that my wife absolutely hates um, that she can just see inside it, all the despair, all the, the, the kind of results of addictive behaviors. And fast forward a few years, it got to about 2012 when uh, she just couldn't handle it anymore. I, she finally wanted to know how deep my liaisons with other women were. And I told her, um, because I couldn't, I wanted to be found out. I wanted to somehow pay for what I'd done, but I didn't know what that was about. Mm, and yeah. I told her, and that night she just, she looked at me with a look that I'll never forget. It was like having a stone dagger pierced through my face, you know? Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> and she just said, I don't think I'm going to stick around. We have four kids at the time. And so and she left the room. And so I'm sitting there going like, crap, I feel like this. And now I'm going to be alone for the rest of my life. Mm. And it scared the heck out of me. And I just, I had to do something. And so I managed for a period of time to control my behavior, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I had yeah. been going to 12-step programs. I had been going to alternative therapies, hypnotherapy, and ta you tapping and, and meditation. And I'd gone on like retreats of all kinds. And I had done all kinds of crazy stuff with martial arts and everything I could think of. Um, obviously not everything on the planet. No one's ever done everything on the planet. Um, but everything within my reach to try and figure out a way to fix what was going on. Cause I simply couldn't control it. Even though I know nowadays people, there's a lot of people arguing that, well, it's not really an addiction, pornography and stuff. Yeah, like that. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. And to my view, I was like, look, whatever you want to call it, let's call it mermaid behavior. If you want, like whatever you want to call it, I still can't. <laughs> And that was the problem. I wanted to stop and I couldn't. And uh, so there I was and I was controlling it. But every day was a struggle. You know, uh, my wife would leave home and I'd watch her leave the window and then for uh, to go pick up the kids at school. And then for the next, you know, 20 minutes while she's gone picking up the kids, I'm sitting there in my office and I can't function. And the, the computer's in the corner and my brain is just going, come on. You got a chance. You can go look at it now. Nobody's going to know. She's not checking. You know how to hide the history. You know how to get around stuff. And uh, like my body would shake sometimes. And like I just I couldn't function at work. I wasn't producing what I needed to uh, as a business yeah. owner. I was wasting time on other media just so that I wasn't wasting time looking at pornography. Mm. And 
playing video games and stuff. And so overall, my life was this massive sham. And that this was day in and day out for a year and a half. And at the time, I was facilitating 12-step programs. And um, mm-hmm. I was looking around the room, and one week I got super fed up with, like, looking around, seeing, like, none of these people are really getting better in life. Some of them are sober, but they still have the same mentality of being like broken and being unfixable. Mm. And a lot of them would be sober for a while and then go back, but I didn't see any progress. And I was like, this is not okay with me. Yeah. And, uh, as I'd looked around and researched and everybody telling me, look, you don't get over addictive behaviors. You don't get over depression. You don't, these are things you have to learn to manage and cope with. And I was like, I am in my early thirties. I do not want to spend the next six, seven decades of my life this way. This sucks. And I wasn't suicidal. I just didn't want to live that life anymore. I was done with the fear and the frustration and the anger and the resentment. And I was done with all the things that I'd done all the step work. I'd done everything, but I still wasn't like clear of it. And I wanted a different solution. And Everybody, like the therapeutic world told me, nope, sorry, it's not a possibility. The 12-step world I was in, and granted, every 12-step program is a little different. So if your listeners love 12-step programs, I'm not against them. There's some beautiful things that happen in them for sure. And you two have experienced it, right? Sure. Yeah. yeah. And uh, um, <clears throat> and so, but like it wasn't, they weren't telling, they were telling me, no, once you're an addict, you're always an addict. That's just the way it goes. And I was like, I'm sorry, I'm a human being. And if I do believe in a Jesus figure, how is it that he can raise the dead but not handle addiction? Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, what kind of beta version of Jesus are we running here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the beta Jesus. Oh, I love it. Yeah. And so I was like, well, <clears throat> I got to find a way. And so I literally put away, put aside everything that everybody had told me to do. And I said, if no one has an answer, I have to figure out an answer. And uh, at the time I was reading in a book of scripture that there was a phrase that said like, when, like when a person repents of their sins, I, the Lord God, remember them no more. And I was like, wait a second, Mm -hmm. hold on a second. I know everyone's telling me that whatever I've seen, whatever I've done is stuck inside my head, but here's something telling me that it's perhaps a divine quality to not remember things. I was like, what would it take for me to be able to clear my head of all that pornography so that it doesn't pop up at random? What would it take for me to, oh, well, for crying out loud, remember the opposite isn't forget, it's to dismember, meaning to no longer make a part of me. Mm -hmm. And what if I could dismember addiction from my life? What would that take? And so I just started going on whatever ideas came to mind. Inspired or not, I was desperate. And uh, some of those ideas were stupid ideas, and I nearly lost my life in the middle of it all. Mm. But then at one point, uh, one day I was sitting there, and a a couple of ideas came together, and uh, they felt different than all the other ones. And I was like, what is going on here? Let me me just follow this. So I, I just did whatever came to mind, and over a very short period of time, I'd already been learning all kinds of skills that I'd pieced together, physical skills, mental skills, emotional skills, energetic stuff. I'd learned about how it affected the whole person. Um, but then like a few pieces just needed to fall into place. And then as I did those, 
four days later, because I was kind of unemployed at the time, because uh, that was a result of my <laughs> mentality. Sure. Uh, four days later, so it was four full days of really intense, deep internal stuff. Like all of, I'd learned how to get rid of the images from my head. I'd learned how to disarm things that used to trigger me so that they didn't trigger me anymore. I had figured out how to just dump the past so that it didn't belong to me and to start to see underneath it all, what was the root issue driving the whole thing mm-hmm. and then dissolve that. Wow. Uh, Bob, what, I mean, if, if I can ask, can you tell me uh, personally what your uh, root causality might've been? I don't want you to be more you know personal than you, feel free to be, but, um, can just to help our listeners understand what kind of things are we, are we looking at? So, um, a lot of people like we could break it into three camps, right? There's, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people that talk about root issues. You're going to find them everywhere. And I haven't really seen anybody talking about it. I mean, there's a couple people around that are talking about it this way, but most people still, there's the group that look at it and they go like, look, it's genetic meaning it's God's fault that you have this thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Tim, I would say, I said two things. The first is, um, if the addiction is something that you're genetically predisposed toward, and you say it's God's fault that you have it, the only result of saying that is that you are going to be powerless no matter what you do. Mm. And so whether it's God's fault, whether the genetic material is the same, that let's say you have that genetic material. If you never moved a muscle, you would never have done anything with addiction. So something between what you ha- received and the behavior that you're enacting showed up in order to make that happen. You weren't born addicted. Most people, I mean, I know there's some babies that are as drug babies and they definitely have some predispositions to some things, but most people aren't born addicted which means that it shows up later, which means it's not original to you. So I can't really personally blame it on God. Mm-hmm. I know that's hard to swallow for some people because they're like, my, my dad was an alcoholic and my grandpa was an alcoholic and it runs in the family. Mm-hmm. But to them, I would say, as long as you're holding to that, then that already puts you at a handicap mm-hmm. in trying to make yourself really experience freedom. And so even if it's true, it isn't helpful. And I'm all for practicality. The sex camp, uh, oh, and to the other people, like I get people who, with sex addicts, they're like, I have a really high sex drive. And I go, cool, okay, so you have a 10-cylinder a engine in your car, and mine's a Pinto. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> both of us are running over the neighbor's mailbox. Cool. Uh-huh. Uh, does it matter how big the engine is if you know how to drive? Mm. To that, the answer is always going to be no. Yeah, if you have a bigger engine, you might if you, if it goes haywire, you might do a little bit more damage, who knows? Mm -hmm. But in the end, learning to drive this body, this mind, this chemical factory that we call our human self, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, learning to drive that and to understand how it works. That's the key because then you can park it in the garage, turn off the key and it's not going to run around gallivanting with the ladies at night. You know, it's Mm -hmm. just going to stay in the garage. The second camp are the camp that look at, um, events in your life. So root issues like events that go on in your life. And so someone was abused or molested or someone was bullied or psychologically abused as a kid or verbally 
or, you know, they had a traumatic injury because uh, I've had clients of all different kinds doing this stuff like this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they look at the event and the problem with looking at the event as a root issue is one, there's nothing you can do to change what happened. And two, two people can look at an event and get something totally different out of it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. It's clearly not the event, it's what you made of it. And that's the third camp which is whatever you made, that's what you're carrying. So what did I make from my life? I, I felt like I was a worthless piece of trash. Mm. I don't know mm. where I picked it up, but I literally felt like not that I couldn't measure up. There's a lot of people we deal with that feel like they're a disappointment or um, that they're weak or that they'll never measure up or that they're not good enough. And it's not that intellectually they may know, oh my goodness, that's not true. I get it. I know it's not true. I have all this evidence to say that I'm perfectly fine, but we're not talking about the intellect. It's that instinctive feeling about yourself. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the root thing that you've made. And you've made it just because it's a survival technique. It's the way you figured out how to navigate the world when you were younger in order to be able to predict what's, what was going to happen. You know, if dad was a yeller, well, shoot, if I feel like, oh, no, I'm going to upset dad, it's going to cause me to, to do behaviors that avoid dad or to people please, you know. Right. And so for me, feeling that worthless, I felt just like a worthless piece of trash, not that I couldn't measure up, but that something was wrong with me and I was defective and didn't even have a chance to measure up. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's something I know I felt er- as early as uh, seven, eight years old stuck with me long before any addictive behavior showed up. And so when I'm going through this process and I'm unloading all this stuff and all of a sudden, like I see this pattern start to show up and I've got way faster ways of doing it now (laughs) at the time that was like eight years. Um, I see this pattern start to show up. It was really debilitating for me to have to own up to the fact that yes, even though there's plenty of evidence to the contrary, I really felt that worthless. And, uh, that, that, that broken. And then when I dissolved that, changed that and learned how to dismantle it so that literally it just isn't the thought I can have anymore. Um, that's when all of the misery that was building up that I was coping with, with my addictive behaviors that disappeared. Mm -hmm. And so now I didn't need an addictive behavior in order to survive. Most people take the pacifier away from the baby without changing the diaper. Mm. I had a stinky. There's a line. There's a line right there. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, but I had a stinky diaper in my life, and the pacifier mm-hmm. was my addiction. And everybody was like, "No, we got to control this. We got to stop." And I was still sitting in the the acid and and the diaper rash and everything mm-hmm. else going on. Mm-hmm. And what needed to happen was change the diaper. And then instead of searching for some other kind of pacifier, as people took away that and changing addictions, mm-hmm. it was oh. I don't need a pacifier. I can just enjoy my life. Yeah. Wow. Well, that, I think that's a, yeah, that is a great, that is a great word picture, Bob. I mean, that's, that's what we do. So, so replacing um, this idea we have of ourselves, um, your, your program involves a lot of, uh, it involves physical experiences uh-huh. and in and obviously emotional uh 
experiences and uh, tell me a little bit about what if I were to um, if I were to get in touch with you and say, okay, I am I am done with X, Y, and Z in my life. What might I plan to what What could I expect to experience? <laughs> Rapid transformation. <laughs> uh, okay, so um, what I so if we go back to this root issue idea, right? Let's say I have this thought that says I, there's something wrong with me, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If I have thought that enough, every thought that you have fires um, neurons in your head. It's whether you're aware of the thought or not, if it's fi- it's firing neurons in your head. So that's electricity running through mm-hmm. your body, right? Mm-hmm. And that that chem that signal is also pr- uh, created and transmitted through neurotransmitters, aka chemicals. Mm-hmm. So every thought you have, whether it's conscious or unconscious, it is creating both electricity and chemistry in your body. So if I took your finger and stuck it in a light socket, what would happen? Zap. Yeah, you get electricity and then tension patterns show up in your body. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Your body tenses up, your breathing changes, your posture changes, and all this other kinds of stuff. And so when I started to recognize this inside myself, and I was training in a lot of body work and a lot of martial arts. I mean, I'm in the backwoods of Canada with like ex-Russian spies and they're pulling knives on me and I'm blindfolded and I'm like trying to deal with fear and like, you know, all kinds of stuff, trying to understand the link between my psychology and my physiology. Mm. Mm I started to see this very, very clear picture that said, look, if I have this thought that says I, there's something wrong with me and I've been, it just felt that way my whole life. It means that's a thought running in the background, like on a boombox re- repeat track mm-hmm. all my life. Mm-hmm. And every time that thought fires, my body tenses and holds certain postures and breathing patterns in certain ways. And if I could figure out how to identify and pinpoint in the body where it's holding the core issue, and change that, then there's no longer a landing pad for the thought, and the thought no longer affects me. Hmm. Yeah. And so I started working physically with myself and with clients, and I started working with breath and with movement, and I started working just sort of subtly with energy. And so we have to work all of these different areas. So if you get involved, we're, tr- we're having you help. We're, what I call it is we're retraining your nervous system and your emotional reflexes mm. so that as that happens, you are training them to respond differently. Right now, whoever's listening to this, you're a black belt at the way you're living right now. You have met <laughs> that stuff. There. There's another line. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. You're a black belt at the way you're living right now. Yeah. Okay. Keep going. Yeah. So if you want to experience life differently, that means we got to be a white belt again and we have to train different fundamentals. Uh, and yes. so we- the nervous system fires in response to things. We call them triggers with regard to addiction, right? Something happens Mm -hmm. automatically or we're having an emotional response. Well, you can retrain that so that there's no longer, so that you can remove a trigger. Cause let's be honest, you are not a gun. You don't have triggers. Mm. You're human beings. You don't have little thingies hanging off your skin. (laughs) That someone walk around and go, but doink. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Hold on. Mm -hmm. There is a difference going on. And so, Um, the best analogy I could come up with maybe is an allergy. Um, my second son, we were out in Arizona when we were living at the time and, um, we went to my cousin's house and he was playing in the backyard and they seed with different kinds of grass at different times of year. 
So it was ryegrass in the backyard. And we got in the car on the way home and he was itching like crazy. And we're doing everything that everybody tells an addict to do. Stop. Quit it. <laughs> Sit on your hand. We're giving him like, you know, well, the window's hot. Put your hand on the window and then it'll like burn and then it won't, you won't feel the need to itch anymore. And all the things that, you know, where you tell people to do mm-hmm. uh, with an addiction, control yourself. And, but on the inside, there was still the urge he was fighting to itch. And that's the urge that a lot of people struggling with addiction mm-hmm. deal with. Mm-hmm. You know, they've got this urge that they just, even if they're in control, the urge is still there. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out a year later, we go back to my cousin's house. They were playing in the backyard. We go home. Nothing happened. Something inside my son had changed mm-hmm. to where he no longer had an allergic reaction. And as I thought about that, I was like, okay, cool. What is an allergy? But something inside yourself that says, danger, Will Robinson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And as a result of a perception of danger, some threat to yourself, you have a reaction. That would be a rash in this case. Mm-hmm. And as a result of the reaction, you have a coping behavior, in this case, itching. Mm-hmm. So with a trigger, something happens in life and you perceive a threat to yourself, your soul, your identity, your bank account, whatever it is. And you have a reaction to it. That reaction is usually an emotional state. Mm-hmm. And that emotional state then produces a coping behavior, which we would call an addictive behavior. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so that like changed in my son. Right. And the same thing here. So so you've got to retrain your nervous system so that it no longer perceives life as a threat. Mm -hmm. And when you no longer perceive life as a threat, you're starting to respond to things that happen differently. All of a sudden, freedom happens by itself. Like you just find yourself like, wow, like I didn't I just did that very differently. And I didn't have to think about it and try and white knuckle it or anything else Mm -hmm. because we're getting down to your basic patterns that you you developed in the beginning as, as survival mechanisms. There's nothing wrong with them, mm-hmm. but they're no longer serving. And so when we can reprogram those, then you've got a lot of, lot of possibility to not have to fight an addictive behavior or the urges because your body is responding differently. So yeah. you, we do a bunch of things to help people retrain those. Then we dig into root, stu- root issue stuff, psychological stuff, and help people completely dismi- dismantle them and dissolve them. Yeah. So that in the end, you don't have the stinky diaper. And right. you don't have the habit, right? Yeah. Well, Bob, so, so if you're – how how open to um, this approach are people when they initially come? Because my experience with people is they come in and they want to immediately talk about the behavior and how to help me stop doing this behavior, whatever it is, a substance or a compulsivity or whatever. And at that point, you tell them, we're here to treat the whole person. And as we treat the whole person, the, de- the behavior the- will diminish. The-, the desire, the impulse, the compulsivity will diminish if we treat the whole person. And that's always this big newsflash. So when you're talking about, especially if you're going to get into, you know, physicality and all this kind of stuff, how open are people to what you're presenting to them initially? Yeah, some people, I mean, some of our programs don't involve meeting in person necessarily, but most of the people we work with have tried so many different things that they're kind of like, whatever, uh, just just tell me what to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. 
Yeah. And, and that's sad because I wish, I wish it weren't like a last ditch effort that people realize that the greatest personal development tool they've been given on this planet is their own body and mind. Mm. And you know, like it is, it will accelerate healing so fast. You can turn an entire life down, around in very short amount of time. Wow. If you really understand how to use this. And I wish that weren't a newsflash, but our society is kind of built on information and when it comes to the addiction space, there's enough information out there that says it's going to take a long time and you're never really going to be done with it. That the biggest uh, struggle we have is the it sounds too good to be true struggle. Yeah. And that itself, the mentality, the belief that you can't get over this quickly, that you can't be free of it without having to fight it, that you can actually move on with life. And just have this have been a chapter that once exit once happened. Mm -hmm. Reality that you can't do that is actually one of the core things that has to be dismantled in a person, because it doesn't matter what you do if you still believe that you're going to be fighting it forever. You will create the fight inside of your life. Wow! Yeah, amazing. Uh, what I'm hearing, uh, Bob, is that this is not merely a mental exercise. There, there are cognitive changes that need to be made. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, this has emotional impact, but there's also a high, uh, what I'm hearing is that there's a, there's a high degree of physicality and physical discipline. Uh, it sounds like a pretty intensive process. How do you do this? Do you do this in... But one thing that took me by surprise was you said that not always uh, are, are people actually in the room with you. Are you are you able to do this by by extension by Zoom? How how are you connecting folks? Yeah, so I built. Um, I mean, I built I built a few programs that teach them via video training and other things that we're guiding them through. And so we're training them in physical things that they can do in their own life. These, by the way, you don't have to be an Olympic athlete or a glutton for punishment in order to do these things. We've had moms and women do these things and guys who are not athletic at all, you know, overweight and they have knee problems. These are not like, this isn't about developing a physique that would make you some kind of Adonis. This is, mm -hmm. okay. this is, these are just powerful, simple physical work or movement or, or breathing or, you know, some of the things that we're having people do in order to help reset your chemical and internal state. Yeah. So that you're in a state of happiness. And if you look at it very, very clearly, and I'm going to say this, and some people are going to like freak out about this probably, but just bear with me. Addiction doesn't really exist. There isn't, you can't cut a person open and find addiction. You can find the results of their behavior you find tar in lungs of a smoker, you can find neuropathways, but neuropathways are neuropathways, they're not addiction. And in the history of the addiction industry, they actually, there's been enough research where they can't, there's no way to pinpoint addiction. So basically it's just a term we're using to describe, um, we don't know why, but this guy obviously isn't able to stop. Mm -hmm. What does exist then are human beings who are at some level of suffering or happiness and are looking for a greater level of happiness. That's it. And they've found certain substances <laughs> or behaviors that help them in that regard. Even if it's temporary, they've found that. And so the people that are, are coming and they're, they're 
you know, trying to learn, I ask him a common question. And maybe this is a good question. It's a good self-check question. On an average day, how happy are you on a scale of one to 10? 10 being like, I love being alive. It's amazing. And then zero being like, please just let me roll over and go back to sleep. Right? Mm, yeah. And, and, you know, it's not uncommon that we get, some people are really proud. They're like, I don't know. I'm probably like a five or a six. And I, and I give them the like, that's like a D minus guys. You know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, a lot of them are like two, three and four. And I go, see, now it makes sense. You are living at a two or three or four and, and pornography or alcohol or, or heroin or meth or, or eating or gambling or whatever it is, that's bringing you to a five, even if it's mm -hmm. temporarily, it's bringing you to a five. And as long as you're living at a four, that's always going to be on the menu. But if what would happen if we could get you to be living at a seven? Would you ever really be looking down at that going, well, yeah, I would like to go back down there. Mm. And they go, well, no, exactly. It's about raising your state of well-being so much. Because if a person is totally happy, like super blissed out, like literally they're not thinking about coping behaviors. It's only when that happiness ends for a second that they start to go look in other directions. Mm. Um, and they're really super happy. I mean, people have like literally passed out from happiness, you know? I mean, <laughs> they're really anything addictive at that point. And so uh, all this is is simple physical stuff that we'll get them to do it. And they can do it. We do it virtually. We've worked with people all over the globe, um, virtually over the phone, coaching and video trainings. And then we're tracking with them and helping them customize it so that it actually fits their life like a glove. It's not a one-size-fits-all solution. Um, if you want freedom to be something that is a no-brainer that happens by default, it has to be something that honors your strengths, honors your personality, really fits with the way you live your life so that it's seamless and easy and you don't have to maintain it. Mm. But we do have events that we run that are four-day intensive retreats where we get together and we do some of this physical work uh, and movement work and breathing work and mental and psychological work that is just really difficult to do over the phone. And so some people really want that kind of experience and they come inside and we gather them at, you know, 30 people at a time. And we just take them for four days through an incredible experience that shifts all this stuff inside. And that gives them so much time to change their mentality because their body has shifted mm -hmm. and it's no longer a carrying place for those thoughts. And so it's a really, really powerful experience for my favorite yeah. things to do. Wow. That's amazing. Well, awesome. Bob, how can people get in touch with you and find out how to connect with these opportunities? So my website is thefreedomspecialist.com. Um, the main landing page right now deals mostly with porn addiction stuff. So if you're struggling with other things, have no fear. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we can still help, right? <laughs> Yeah, we work with people that struggle with anxiety and depression and OCD and, you know, various different types of addiction. Um, we're not a detox center, though. So if you need to do that and go to a recovery or rehab center for something like that, then that's definitely something you'll need to do. Mm -hmm. This is really about getting down to the root of it and training yourself, yourself, your body and your mind to just live life differently. You don't lose any of the wisdom 
but you get a hit the reset button on life. And so if you go to thefreedomspecialist.com, if you want to check out our event, it's uh, thefreedomspecialist.com slash unshackled. Mm. And uh, if you'd like to see like one of our main emotional training programs is called Choose Your Own Emotion. You know, like the old Choose Your Own Adventure books. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, dude, when you're in control of emotion and you can be like, I'm going to be depressed for a couple minutes and then I'm going to come back out anytime you want, then it's just an adventure. It's not actually like a problem. And it's cool because then you can say someone's sad. I can go to sadness, be with them, and then I can come back out and even possibly lead them out because I know how to lead that myself, you know? Mm. Yeah. And, uh, so that program is, if you just go to thefreedomspecialist.com slash feel better now, that one is, it's three to four weeks daily, just a little bit of daily work, and it'll help you retrain your mood. It'll help you retrain your reactions a little bit, and it'll also give you some tools to be able to add, dismantle and disarm triggers so that you're not constantly wor worrying about stuff all the time. So there's a few different ways that you can get in touch with us, or you can just schedule a call. We'll look at your situation um, together just as a free consultation and be like, okay, what, what would be best for you? And, uh, and just help you find something that works. Great. That's great. That's great. Well, this is, uh, it's been so great getting to know you, uh, Bob, thank you for your transparency. Uh, it's, it's always refreshing to talk with somebody who's highly motivated and articulate and knowledgeable and at the same time vulnerable. We'll look forward to uh, connecting with you more in the future. Yeah, yeah well, well, stick with us. We'll be back in just a moment on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Nate, that was um, that was fun. <laughs> I really enjoyed talking to Bob because I love finding alternate modalities that are alternative modalities uh, that are working for people in ways that maybe most of us haven't heard of or thought about and um, and that, that really challenge us. And so I I was excited to hear some of these things that he's incorporating. You know, a lot of the things we've talked with about um, the body and body memory, we've had guests on that have explored that. And, and, and we've had people that have helped us explore the um, uh, alternate method, methods for 12-step averse people. And, uh, but I really enjoyed uh, what he had to say about uh, just how a lot of our reality is rehearsed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Rehearsed and reenacted. So we're reenacting uh, a past and creating a present moment to moment. Very fascinating to think about, uh, you know, my experience as the product of a chemical state, a daily chemical state over which I have some control on manufacturing it. I don't know. I've really got to think about this. And to me, one of the great things about recovery, David, is that it has freed me from the need always to defend my own assumptions. Right. Right? Yeah. Uh, it's an openness to new ideas. Mm -hmm. not, not a frantic pursuit of, you know, you know, every new idea that comes along, but an openness to experience. It's yeah. nice to be able to live that way. 
Yeah, exactly. uh, Remind our listeners a little bit about the sponsor of this podcast. Yeah, I am happy to do that. Um, We have uh, the opportunity to uh, offer the listeners uh, a 10% off uh, initial uh, fee with Try Better Help, that's H-E-L-P, trybetterhelp.com. And BetterHelp is a, um, a site for uh, counseling, online counseling with licensed practitioners. Uh, you have the opportunity to get the same practitioner if you'd like um, each time. Uh, it's affordable. It's a, an opportunity where um, perhaps, especially in this time where getting out isn't uh, maybe on our top 10 options, uh, you have an opportunity to go online 24 hours a day. It's not a crisis hotline. It's not a, um, a hotline for, um, you know, crisis situations, but it is a 24 hour accessible, uh, uh, counseling, uh, opportunity. And the therapists are trained. They're, uh, compassionate, empathic people that you can get on with and, and actually get to the bottom of some of these disorders that we all deal with there. Anything from depression and anxiety to um, other compulsive issues and the things that are kind of setting you back in life and that you're stuck in life with, um, Try Better Help is there to help you. So the way you access the discount is uh, logging on at trybetterhelp.com slash positive sobriety. And if you will uh, put that in, you'll get a 10% discount. And we'll also have a way of knowing what resources are resonating with our listeners. And it helps us know uh, where our folks are, are, uh, are being, being helped and, uh, and finding help and seeking help. So we're excited to have Try Better Help as part of our uh, positive sobriety family and um, encourage our listeners to investigate it. And we'd love to hear your experience with it as well. So let us know if you do log in and, um, and take on that opportunity. We'd love to hear about it. So trybetterhelp.com slash positive sobriety. Thanks, David. And uh, the way you let us know, by the way, one of the ways to let us know is to drop us a line at positive sobriety podcast at gmail.com. Until next time. I'm Nate. I'm David. He's David. Yeah, okay. (laughs) And we are your pals. We are your pals on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. The Positive Sobriety Podcast is recorded at Crossroads for the Nations in Brentwood, Tennessee. Live producer Rex Schnelli, music by Rex Schnelli, theme music by Matt Ulrich, Uh, hair and makeup by Lyle Lovett, Uh, wardrobe (laughs) by Kathy Gifford. 